The years leading up to and during menopause are a rite of passage. The wise woman inside of us is calling to slow down, to take stock, to speak our truth, to burn away all that no longer serves us, ready for our next cycle of life. The good news is with the support, community, connection, and most of all, sharing our stories and being truly seen and heard, we will travel through this powerful, sometimes painful, heroine's journey and out the other side. Welcome to the Menopause Podcast, real and raw stories of midlife and mental health. I'm your host, Kylie Patchett, menopause self-care coach and storyteller, and I am so glad you found us. Let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody. Well, today I have Amanda Thee with me. Hello, Amanda. How are you? Hello. Hello, Kylie. Thanks for having me today. I'm so excited about this chat. Now, I am going to try and do your book's title justice because I've just finished it and it's amazing, but for some reason my brain cannot. Okay. It is called Menopocalypse. How you literally nailed it. I did. <laughs> Go me. That's on sleep deprivation too. So I'm extra pats on the back. Um, how I learned to thrive during menopause and how you can too. And what I love the most about, well, actually I love many things about this book. The, the best thing for me is this cover where Amanda is like, if you if you're listening to the audio, as basically a woman who looks powerful and positive and determined. And uh, we all know oh, that. Right. Well, that was that was the purpose because, you know, when I wrote the book, I wanted to use the name Menopocalypse because when yeah. I was in the thick of it, it did literally feel like the end of the world and like I, it was so traumatic. Yes. But then I thought, does that sound too negative? Does it sound like it's going to be like a... a full of despair I hope not and so what I decided to do was that like if I did this like really um powerful image of a woman on the front that people would look and go this is someone that's overcome yes the, yes, yes. Uh, uh, yeah so that's exactly so um I love the name personally it makes me chuckle but it sort of was like it was like you know, if anyone you want anyone on your team for a zombie apocalypse, it's going to be me. And that's what I want for you. That's essentially what that was about. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> well, this woman in your corner. Um, I love the fact that in this book, you are so very, very open about your own experiences with perimenopause. So before all of the this book and your specializing in perimenopause, you've always been in health and fitness, like you have been a very well fit movement oriented done that for a role do you want to introduce yourself for those very strange people that don't already know you because I feel like I don't know (laughs) (laughs) well in our very small menopause world maybe they do but yeah essentially so I've always been in the fitness and wellness industry and it wasn't always a primary job it was sometimes a secondary job I worked for IBM for a lot of the time but literally from the ages of 18 I was qualified to teach step aerobics spin became a personal trainer became a nutrition coach did specialties in pre and postnatal and then in senior fitness. And then I worked with pro athletes. So I've got this huge spectrum of a career that I've really, really enjoyed um, and sort of went into my 40s a little bit smug. You know, look at me, I'm healthy and fit and I'm re- 
redefining what it means to go through aging. That was sort of what was always on my mind. And I've always been that accessible person that hopefully people look to and go, Amanda's just like us. And, you know, she's shown us that we're not dead in the water, essentially. I didn't understand why I didn't know about. And then it became apparent to me that this this knowledge gap wasn't just in the fitness and wellness world. It was with women, all women. It was within the workplace. It was within the medical community. It just is this disgraceful situation where we've got a whole generation of women who have been ignored. And I was like, yeah, I'm not having that. (laughs) So when you hit 42 and you started having these symptoms, and when you say that they come and go, that was that to me was one of the most discombobulating things as well. It's like, oh, I'm noticing this. Now it's gone. Oh, I'm noticing this. Now it's gone. And some of yours weren't the typical, I'm going to say, in inverted commas, like the most common symptoms. Because you had migraine stuff happening that was like with an aura and all sorts of stuff. Right. Like, how are you supposed to know what's going on when it, you wake up one day and it changes? And we hear this, both of us, all the time from women. And so women all go to doctors and go, I think I've got a headache. And so they'll get treated for that because they don't actually know that it's this accumulation of symptoms that come and go and fluctuate. And and so it's like, I think it's like playing whack-a-mole with the symptoms. Oh, menopause, menopause, bingo. (laughs) And so, you know, my symptoms when they came to me, like that very day, I remember I'd done a boxing class and I literally thought, oh, I must have gone too hard because I got went home and I was knackered. Mm -hmm. I went to bed and I was like, oh, this was just too much. And the bed was spinning and and then I, my hand started, my right hand started to claw. And that was what was really odd. I lost feeling in my hand and I realized I'd lost feeling in half my face and my vision as well. And I could touch my face and hit it and I couldn't feel it. And I was like, what the hell's going on? Am I having a stroke? I, and then it was like, day, it took me days to get over it. And I was crawling on my hands and feet, knees just to get to the bathroom and then it went. And then I was like, oh, that was the virus probably. And then it came back again. And then so I eventually went to my doctors and it kept coming back and coming back and it felt a bit worse every time. And I went to my doctors and he was like, I don't like the sound of that. Let's get you to see a neurologist. So we should just get things checked out. The neurologist took me months to see. The neuro- neurologist got me to check my balance and walk in a straight line. And I'm like, dude, I'm a fitness instructor. I can stand on one leg for like a day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, is, this is easy, but I know that they were checking for like, you know, like brain um, tumors and stuff like that and balance going in. Anyway, um, he was like, yeah, I don't think there's anything like wrong with you. Not that I can see. I'm going to refer you to an ENO's throat um, um, physician and they're going to check you out. Well, essentially over this period of time, I went through about um, five to six different types of testing, like MRI testing, CAT scans, you you name it, I had it. They even induced vertigo into me on this board and shot water in my ear and it made me throw up. But my it was it just went on and on and on and at the end of it every single time i went to see a consultant he they would say you know what we can see that you're not well because i don't wear sickness well in fairness i i look like shit when i don't feel well <laughs> it's just i'm one of them people but, but we can't get to we can't get to the crux of it we don't know what it is and then once this nurse came up to me and said you know what i think you've got migraines because i have them and they call migraines with aura and i'm like i never get headaches and she was like no it's like your vision goes and you see stars and i'm like yes that's it and the room spins and so by this time, like I'd even gone to emergency wondering what the hell was going on. Anyway, long story short, I then went for a routine gynecology checkup and the gynecologist was like, hey, is everything all right? And I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> I launched into launched into my story and burst into tears and he just was like, hey, listen, I see this day in and day out. This isn't new to me. 
you're not losing your mind. You just, you, you know, you're not losing your mind. You're just losing your estrogen. And I just was like, what do you, what are you talking about? Have you heard of menopause? And I was like, dude, I'm 40 by this time, 44. I'm 44. No, because in my mind, like this is nearly 10 years ago now. I'm like, this is for older people yes. that don't look like me. And I think I was dismissed actually, because I was fit and healthy. I think people were like, oh, it's all in a head or whatever. And so essentially, I just got to the point where I listened to him and I was frustrated and I left the appointment and I was kicking bins and punching shit because I just was like, why didn't anybody else know this? And and that that was literally the start of this whole conversation that like you and I are having. Why don't we know this? Why is there this void that like nobody's felt the need to film? It just it doesn't make sense to me. Migraine, would you not think a neurologist would? Anyway, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Um, That's a whole other kettle of fish. And I just was like, this is insane. Yeah. Anyway. But it's, it's, this is a perfect example, though, of, and it's so common. You and I hear this all the time. People go to a doctor and they've, and they've got this overall feeling like, I just don't feel like myself. There might be right. tiny symptoms that are not bad enough or not obvious enough to kind of go, I have this. And then I'm going to talk about this. One thing I love about um, what you talk about in the book is being more proactive in your perimenopause journey. And part of that is tracking what's going on. And I actually had a thought whilst I was in the shower this morning. (laughs) When I look back at the pattern of things, I can almost, I mean, I don't know whether this is right, but in my own sort of familiarity with my cycle and my symptoms, I can almost see where there's, you know, the real drops in estrogen where I get certain things happening and then the months where it's a little bit higher or not time times of months, it's a little bit higher. Um, so far that's worked. Mind you, I've just headed into some weird like 12-day cycle. So I'm like, all right, I think all bets are off. There's, all a, there's another one. Well, I, I still think it's all valid, right? And I think the thing is you, you, you're cataloging data and it's yes. such a very unique experience and it's and it's complex, right? And so when you go to your doctor, like it's very difficult to go to a doctor with no knowledge. And that's what most women are finding. They're going to the doctor and they can't have a valid conversation because they don't know. It's like, like people like you and I are just spending all of our time trying to change that and change the idea that women are informed so they have agency. That's what we want, right? We want them to be able to advocate for themselves. But once you have that, you then have to go through the extra challenge of then being heard and not being dismissed. And now I'm not ragging on doctors here. You and I had a pre-conversation about the fact that we know doctors don't get training. And when they do, it's a very small subset and it's for a few hours. You're saying it's minutes, like it's not enough. And so to me, the best way that a woman can advocate when she knows she's got these obstacles of in front of her are to get as informed as possible, catalog everything, and then make it succinct, like almost do a report, like I've had this many hot flashes in the last five weeks, I've had this many symptoms. And because the whole point is that you don't need blood tests, you should just be able to be um, helped based on symptoms alone if you're over 45 and you fall into that category. And so the other thing I would also say is go to the, for you, the Australasian um, Menopause Society's website, download the prescription, gu- the prescribing guidelines, like go in there with a folder. That's what I would, I did. And my doctor still rejected me um, that when I I moved country and I had to go to another doctor, my doctor still rejected me um, and I left everything. And then I got an email from him that night and he went, I'm sorry, I didn't know I'm going to completely change the way I practice because 
How do they know what they don't know? That's something we really have to be. And so that's why I don't rag on doctors because I think doctors can be awesome. It's just that how can they help you if they've never been taught it? And I think their very short training really, really focuses on the most common symptoms and the most severe. So if you went and said, I'm having hot flushes 50 times a night and I can't sleep, then they kind of know what to do with that, at least in Australia is my sense. But if you've yeah. got all of these less common symptoms or you know patterns of in and out symptoms, that's a little bit more kind of tricky or difficult to get a handle on. Um, I totally agree. I feel like I'm just thinking as you're talking, so my dad was 55 when I was born. So his generation, there was absolutely no questioning a doctor. There was a very clear, like the doctor was in there. Yeah, it's a hierarchy, yeah, yeah. And as the generations have gone on, so he was born in 1920, as generations have gone on, I think we're getting more and more to the point where we understand that doctors are just human beings. They're only trained in what they're trained in, particularly yeah. general practitioner, at least in our Australian system. They have to know so much about so much. Like they have to have yeah. such a breadth of knowledge. One of my professional careers is sleep science and same sort of thing like they get a one hour one hour of sleep education in their whole GP training How that's ironic seems as you're not sleeping at the moment I know, yeah, I know. <laughs> this morning when I wake up at 4 30 and went to the gym at quarter to five <laughs> I'm actually starting to reel of this is what a sleep scientist does in perimenopause when she's oh, not asleep because I'm like yeah. these are all the things that good sleep hygiene and sleep science will tell you to yeah. do but it still may not work <laughs> So, you know, what you're saying about advocating is such a powerful thing. And to me, like when I look at the picture on the front of your book, this woman knows how to advocate for herself. And I think that if anyone takes away anything from this conversation in terms of how they can change the dynamic in their own perimenopause experience, it's just get educated track symptoms and advocate for yourself because you you deserve to be heard and you deserve to actually have your needs met um exactly that is suitable for you i want to i'm interested in hearing about your in the book you talk a lot about um your mental health symptoms and also this loss of confidence and you tell this story (laughs) i I was rereading it last night when i don't sleep well my confidence is like my mental health my sleep and my confidence are like this three-legged stool so if one's a bit out of balance I, i find the other two are affected and um, I was rereading it last night and I just had this picture of this super powerful informed fit woman also doing something in this story can you tell the story of what happened and it's funny I think that's a really good analogy the three-legged stool because if if ever, anything's off then you know you, you you do feel a bit wonky and so I suppose I come from an athletic background and I've always been that like annoying athletic person and didn't learn to ski until late like in my 40s and what was really funny is that I just thought I'd be dead good at it and I wasn't (laughs) so I tried for years and years and I just I think I just was like oh I thought this would be easier than it was and anyway we went on a family ski holiday and um I actually was struggling with a migraine then that was one of the things like I didn't realize that's what it was this was during this period of time when I was like just not feeling myself and often feeling nauseous. But I went to on the ski hill with my husband. Um, I just wasn't feeling great. And I didn't like feel good about just going up there. And then he sort of went off the, the the track, but not very much, but it just looked a little bit steeper than I was able to cope with. And I just lost my bottle, literally just was like, 
I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't, I just didn't think I could anymore. And um, I threw my skis off and said, fuck you and fuck you or whatever. I just went down on my bum with the, with the skis in my hand. And I've never been on skis since. It's just like, uh, and that's just, just not like me just to not even try to overcome something. I just um, completely lost myself in that moment and was scared and, and embarrassed and all of those things. And it's really interesting because I spoke to, uh, you know, a doctor of um, female physiology and she sort of confirmed the fact that we know that during midlife. And so I don't know that this is specifically a menopause thing during midlife that women lose belief in their athletic ability. Absolutely. And I can see that in myself, even though this is what I do as a job. But, you know, like sometimes like I'll still go, I'll go to pick something up and I'll go, no, go for the heavier weight because you know you can do it. I still have to have those conversations. And I'm someone that's in this. So for somebody who just isn't sort of like like in the fitness industry, for example, to, to lose belief in what your body is at actually capable of is pretty scary. And then it doesn't just trans it transfers over to the emotional and the psychological. It's not just the physical, right? And so I see women, you know, they don't cope well with the changes that are going on in their body. And so they literally feel like this is a new environment and they don't like it and they're not coping well. They don't like what they see in the mirror. They don't feel confident in the workplace to talk up. Like it just cascades and cascades. I'd like to say though, and that though, that it doesn't need to be that way. And it also, there are many things we can do to sort of overcome that. And it's really important that we do. As you're talking about losing confidence in physical ability and that that's, that's been, you know, something that's come easily for you. I had a similar experience, but in something else that comes easily to me in more of the um, like corporate leadership environment where corporate role in about October last year. And I was just like, I just don't know what I'm fucking doing anymore. Like I just literally lost all, not, not confidence. It was twofold. First of all, there was a lot of stress going on with a you know parent, parent going into aged care, et cetera. So there was outside stress, but also it was this, like I knew that I wasn't supporting my team as well as I could. And I had a quite a quite a big team and in an open office environment. And I could just feel that my ability to juggle with the competing demands and being in an open environment and having someone always coming up behind you going, hey, Kylie, I know you're busy, but I was just like, I'm going to face off. Like, <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder whether it is typical. I'd be interested to ask that actually, to lose confidence in something that has always felt like breathing. Right. And I can sort of give you a, give you a little bit of insight on that if you want, because I do workplace talks, I do corporate yeah. talks, and I have many of these conversations. And I recently did one for the police force in Scotland, and we had over three three hundred women and men join in, including the chief inspector. And prior to that, I, you know, always speak to them, um, the host and just say, you know, where are we going with this? And like, what type of things do you want to talk about? And she's like, you have to say in this that we can't mock women when they go through this, because I've been given briefings about arrests and about, you know, crimes that have been committed. And I have to refer to my notes because I literally can't remember things off the top of my head like before. And I have a team of 50 police officers in front of me. And she's like, and they all take the piss out of me. The men will be like, oh, no, she's losing her mind, you know, like she's gone through menopause or something. And she's like, what happens is women become really good at finding coping mechanisms and coping skills that they have to sort of implement to just be able to function in their job. And then if they're then not supported within that workplace, like you maybe didn't feel like you could turn to anyone and say, 
you know what? This is how it's going to be. When I do my presentations, I'm literally going to read from a piece of paper because otherwise Bob's going to get called Sue or whatever, yes. right? <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so then, and then, and then just also having respect for your colleagues as well, instead of like mock, mocking them. And so um, it was just a really, and so I'd said this in the conversation. And at the end, the, ple- the chief inspector said, I had no idea about this, none. And he was a male. I had no idea about this. What can I do to change the culture? And that's essentially what it is. It's a culture change, right? Oh. One of my friends was was given a presentation and she was mid-sentence doing a presentation and lost her train of thought. And then she went, hang on a minute. And she rubbed her thigh and rubbed it really hard. And, and she went, I'm just rubbing my estrogen patch to give myself some superpowers. Okay, I'm back. And she sort of made fun of it. And I just thought, you're, you're brilliant. That was just a really, and, you know, we'll, we'll do and say things to sort of ease through the the conversation. But here's something that I think is worth having a conversation about. And it's a bit of a side track, but it makes sense. When you asked me earlier that you said the symptoms that I experienced didn't seem conventional, like hot flashes or missing periods or whatever, mine were nearly all neurological. Mm. And what we know is the brain is impacted as much as the ovaries in menopause. And we've seen on MRI scans that the brain changes shape and structure during perimenopause to cope with this lack of need for a reproductive um, life anymore, right? And then what happens is then, and I've just done an interview with um, a neuroscientist in the US called Pauline Mackey, who is brilliant. And she said that what happens is then into postmenopause in that three to five year window, the brain adapts rebuilds, regrows. And we see that those coping mechanisms that we've had to implement sort of come to fruition and we get it all back and our brains are big, fat and juicy again. And that's scientific, of course. (laughs) And, 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 And I personally have experienced that as well, like the putting the remote control in the fridge and not being able to do more than one thing at a time. And, and, and I don't feel in that wilderness anymore that I feel like I've got a grip on things, but all of the mechanisms I'd put in place to help me through that period are actually really useful to me now. And and I think that that's the power of the type of power that menopause can give women. So even though it feels like it's like a lost place, it's not forever, right? It's a, it's a transition. And I think that um, what you're talking about with the workplace end of things, like I noticed myself the other day, like I have two daughters, like late teens um, daughters and we were away for a weekend with them and their partners and so and I will not like the girls keep on going god mom no more menopause talk at the dinner table I'm like no no no, 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 no. <laughs> we're not staying quiet <laughs> and and they're like why do you have to talk about it in front of the boys and I'm like because they will have wives or partners or be connected to sisters or whoever that will be going through this sooner or later so why the hell should I not be talking about it but I caught myself the other day. I was, I was re- really, really running hot. I mean, I live in Australia. We've had summer that's just gone on forever. Like we should be well and truly in autumn, and we are not. It's you know thirty five degrees plus for ages and ages. I don't have any sympathy. You're talking to me from Canada, so oh, yeah. stop. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, yeah. yeah. So I was sitting at the table. We had the air conditioning on, but I was just so warm, and I literally had those like yeah. sweat running down my face. And I started to do this thing that actually when I spoke to um, Anne-Marie McQueen from Hot Flash Inc., she said, you know, this is not for your entertainment. We have to stop diminishing and minimising or making fun of our symptoms 
um, because that's not changing the narrative of menopause being natural and normal and positive overall, you know, for a purpose overall. Um, But I caught myself at the dinner table going down the track of like rolling my eyes and going, oh, look out, she's losing it, hot flush again. And I was like, no, I don't no. want to actually, I don't want that to be my narrative. And I and I think exactly what you're saying about, you know, bless any leader in any workplace that asks the question, how can I change the culture? Because that to me, you know, is a real leader. Um, we need to change the narrative for from this being, Yes, sometimes it's messy and it's discombobulating and you can feel really disconnected from, from yourself sometimes because things are changing so rapidly. And right. still there's a positive purpose around this and it is very natural for us to go through this transition. So I keep on coming back to the fact Mother mother Nature doesn't fuck it up. Like Mother no, Nature. exactly. <laughs> and, in fact, it's a privilege to go through, isn't it? Let's think about it that way, right? And then, But the thing is, you know, nat- natural doesn't mean easy. Yeah, and so for, for those women that need help, they should get it and take it and it shouldn't be a fight and all of those things. You know, there's um, a space for everyone in this conversation. But the thing is as well, when, when you're struggling with these symptoms and they seem so overwhelming, it causes a stress response. And we know that when we have a stress response, our symptoms are worse. And you'll know this from the sleep side of it, right? When you don't sleep, your symptoms are worse. When you don't eat well, your symptoms are worse. And so if we don't look at this in a, this 360, like dynamic way, then we're missing the big picture. And so that 360 conversation includes how we talk about this, yes. how we package this. That's mm-hmm. what my last chapter is in the book, the, the Building a Resilient Mindset. Shift happens. I thought that I was yeah, funny. Yeah. <laughs> I liked that too. I was like, oh, clever, clever, clever. <laughs> it, to me, it was the most, it was the most impactful mm. part of the book for me because it was a bit I had to really learn about, I suppose, right? Like how mm. how we think. I wanted to ask you about that because in the book you say, you know, if you had said to me I was um practicing mindfulness and um, you know, CBT style of processes to reframe things and things. 10 years ago, I would have laughed at you because I never had a problem with stress. I didn't, I didn't have a problem managing my stress. Like I was just sort of swimming along quite nicely. And um it, can you well, talk we all <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you hit perimenopause and your bandwidth decreases. That's it, isn't it? It's your bandwidth and, and the decreasing of it. And it maybe doesn't you don't recognize that like so I had those two years like in an abyss where I didn't know what was going on and then got you know some information and I was able to work with that um but there was still you know I still had a good eight years of not feeling well and anytime there was like these high moments of stress I knew that it was making me worse and my migraines were triggered by my perimenopause but they made me stressed and they made them worse like it just was this this like vortex I was in it was horrible um and so then I just decided that I needed to just take some time to just have some stillness which is something that people like me don't tend to do people that are very busy and active and like to be have a full life being still is really hard um but man does it work right and it doesn't need to be exotic and I think that's what one of the things was is I was resist resistant to it because 
you know, 10 years ago, I was like you as well. Like, why do I need this? And my friends were learning about mindfulness and I'd be like, it's some hippie hippie shit that we don't need to be talking about. And yet we know now that this like can change our brain structure. Actually, they've seen it on MRI scans, right? That, you know, how we actually process things can be changed if we just become present, just be in the moment. And that sounds easy to do but it's not how often does our mind wander like so for example I used to do yoga and at the end of the shavasana I always found yoga a bit wanky but I like the physical side of it you know like it was I didn't like the whole wellness side of it and then at the end they do the shavasana and I'd lie there and go okay so what am I going to make for dinner and next I'm going to go to the supermarket and I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that and then everyone else looked so chilled and I'm just like right I gotta go (laughs) you know like it was just like I can't ever be still and so trying to find that as a um as an intentional practice was actually very difficult for me so but when you know the ways that you can do it, it really shouldn't be difficult. Like, so for me, sitting down with a cup of coffee and being quiet and just enjoying the taste of my coffee and just planning, you know, what I was going to do for the day in a nice, quiet way. And it works. It really does work. It doesn't have to be exotic, does it? I think that is a very powerful thing for people to anchor into. I, yeah, I love the other side of yoga always. I think I when I was in my medical science training and I realized that it did not make sense to me that all of these specialties were all separated and that we were right. sick, you know, interactive human and also interacted energetically with everything in our environment, etc. Um, that was one of the things that I like it, it shifted my I got quite obsessed with learning alternative and energy healing and traditional okay. yeah. things. So I've always been into that, but I really, really understand the resistance when people think right. that to be mindful, you need to sit and you meditate. have to be you have to be into alternative spiritual. And it's not at all. No, not right? at all. It really isn't. You can just sit and do some breathing. I mean, and also it's going to help your pelvic floor while you're there. So that's great, right? So, but I think that. I don't think I'll ever be spiritual. As I always say, as long as I have a hole in my bum, I'm not going to be spiritual. I've tried. I, I went, I went, I went to India for a month or two to yeah. practice yoga, and I love the physical side, but that was pretty much it. But the, but I have respect for you know for whatever anyone wants to to do. But the the, the idea though that you know when you bring things back to where you are now and i learned that from my oldest son who practiced cbt as well it it actually just means that it just brings a calmness over you that allows you to then just process the thoughts right now instead of anxiety overthinking potentially what's going to happen tomorrow and dwelling on the past it just really just makes decision making easier and then in addition to that the other two things that really made a difference to me were the those psychological tools of focusing on our strengths and our values which I won't go into too much but essentially it just gives you direction and I think a lot of women lose direction at this time of our lives right so how many women do we know are leaving work and changing careers and you know doing all of that stuff well when you focus on your strengths which is essentially your character traits and on your values which are the things that make you run and make you thrive, like your your family and your like your value system, like your kindness or curiosity, whatever it might be. As long as you know what they are, then decisions become easier. Yeah, I lo- I really love that because um, I I have always run 
on how I want the the way that I filter decisions, particularly probably in the last sort of decade, is how do I want to feel? Um, right. And values kind of laid over the top. So one of my absolutely top values is freedom. So if anything that is slightly feels like I'm not free and I have this like inner rebel that gets very <laughs> agitated and wants to like fuck you like sort of you know and, yeah um so I've learned to I've learned to filter decisions through that filter um when you talked about values and strengths I was like oh that's another kind of two layers of the filtering system um because yeah. Rather than saying, I feel so lost, I don't know what to do, then you've actually got almost like a litmus test of. Does you do. Happen? And it and it just, does it pass this or not? And, and is this a yes or a no? And then it actually allows you to say no more often with actual conviction instead of like wavering and going, oh, should I do that just because it's an opportunity? Like I say no to so many things and it's actually really easy to do. And I think women are people pleasers and we like to to do that. Yeah. And, and so we say yes to everything. And I don't. And I, I and, a, and I think sorry, you go. And as I say, and I just think actually focusing on those two two strength the strength and the values really makes that easier. And and I just might add that these are actual psychological tools. And within the book, the websites are there that you can do these little tests and find out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go and I haven't done, I don't think I've done the values one. I have done the strengths one before. I love that one of your your big ones is curiosity, because that makes so much sense. Like even the way that you approach things that to me is what I find really engaging with your content and the way that you approach the topic yeah. of like, I can totally see that that's actually something that oh I thought it was the lamest thing ever I was like Ugh, is that it and then when <laughs> I realized what it really what it really meant it was that things are interesting to me yes. and when they are I go down that rabbit hole and then I get as much information as I can but then when I've got it I'm like and I need to share it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, and that's probably why I wrote that book, right? Like yeah. it, so when I really dug into it, I was like, that's actually exactly me. <laughs> yeah. And it's sort of uh to me, curiosity always reminds me of a childlike trait. Or if you think about, although if you're non-spiritual, it's probably not your language, but the Buddhist concept of a beginner's mind. So right. no, so it's an open-minded, like, oh, I wonder, like, I wonder if, I wonder what, yeah. I wonder how this works. I wonder what this would feel like. That sort of playful energy. Definitely. And then, but then you add on an extra layer of skepticism, which is what I'm full of. Yes. And that's yeah, me yeah. completely. <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. Yeah. The uh, science skeptic, I think. Um, yeah. I'm really interested in this concept that uh, you talked about. I want to hit the MMR um, workouts because... I feel yeah. like for anyone that's listening that still does not include some sort of strength training, we need to address that. Right. Um, but also in the book, you talk about this concept of don't let the old lady in. Can you talk about mm-hmm. that? Because I love, I'm going to use that continually in my brain. As it's, a one, it's, a, it's, it's like a sticker. It's a sticker yeah. in your brain, isn't it? So I was living in Texas at the time and I was going to the local gym and this um, there was always the same crowd. I went at the same time, but they were like older. And there was this one guy that used, used to go um, all the time and he worked with a trainer. Yeah. And um, I'd see him and I'd say, oh, hi, Joe. And I think we went for coffee a few times with a bunch of others. And so I really liked him. He was about 73, if I'm remembering correct, right? Rightly, sorry. And um, 
what one time I was working on this pull-up program and I was using the band, but I was really wanting to get my pull-up strong. And he came up to me and he went, I just love watching you work out. He said, you're so inspiring. And he knew I was in my fifties or whatever. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. And I went, but actually you inspire me. And he went, and I went, because like, I see you, you're here all the time. You work with the trainer. You look amazing. I bet you feel amazing. And he went, yes, he said, there's a song out there, like, don't let the old man in. And he says, and I'm really determined to be the old man that's never let the old man mentality in. And that's what it means. It's really just about not accepting your fate and almost trying to be the best version of you uh, that you can. And it doesn't have to be in the gym setting, but that's sort of where that conversation happened. And I just thought it was like really great. And I, and I remember that myself, like when I'm like, Ugh, my joints are aching or I'm too <laughs> tired. And I'm like, the reason I do this, the reason I show up and turn up is because I literally don't want to let the old lady in. Right. Yeah, yeah. I um I that had extra meaning for me because like I said, my dad was 55 when I was a bit older at 91. He was still still driving, still walking a kilometre a day. We had a hundred metre long driveway and he would use pebbles to count his 10 laps. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, um, I love that. Yeah, he was childlike, he was he was fun, he had a deep like I don't know, mischievous streak. He was very cynical as well. Like there was definitely some, you know, like older kind of person, I don't know, I guess stereotype um, threaded through, but he was never an old man. And obviously he was on, you know, he was 91. And, I, and that's exactly it, isn't it? Being hmm. fun, curious, wanting your independence, all of those things matter. And also, again, back to that reframing concept of this concept that once you hit a certain age, then you're kind of on the downhill straight or you've, you're past your prime, or you've lost the ability to, um, you know, create joy or have fun or go on adventures. And I'm like, what the fuck? Who, what? Whose version of that? No, I do not agree. Well, we, well, we know whose version of that it is, right? Because we've been surrounded with it all of our lives. Like we've been literally told we can't get old, we can't get fat, we have to like stay youthful in everything that we do to please our man or whatever BS was out there. And I mean, we've literally it's been ingrained in us, and we have to unpack all of that. Um, and so I think now, like our generation of women we don't look even look like the generation that was two generations before us. I think because we're just like, we're just doing it on our terms, our way. Um, and yeah, and so, and I think that that starts up here in our brain, like how we perceive ourselves, right? Um, and I absolutely love that story about your dad because it's sort of, they're the people that inspire me. I follow these people on Instagram, like, there are older women like in their 70s, 80s, and they're still working out and they're still trying new things. And I'm like, that's going to be me. Yeah. Like I'm I, determined. I'm reminding myself of this funny story. He used to say um, at about, he retired when he was in his late 70s. So when I was kind of 20-ish and then he got bored. So I think when he hit <laughs> 80, he decided he was going to volunteer at the local Meals on Wheels, which is like a delivery person yeah. for food for old people, right? And he used to say, and he used to do it Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays, he'd go and peel potatoes. And we once worked out he would peel 500 kilos of potatoes each week, I think it was, some, some ridiculous amount. So he found purpose. He found community. He'd go and have his cups of coffee, but he was very, like he's ex-army, so very like I need to have a purpose, I need to get in, I need to get it done, I need to tick it off the list, I need to, you know, 
you know, that's my sort of um, structure that he liked. But he used to say, I'm going to peel the potatoes for the old people. And I'm like, Dad, you're older than the people that you're peeling potatoes for. And he's like, yeah, but not really. And that's what he said. Not up here. Not not in his yeah. brain. Um, that's, exa- I, that's, yeah. that's perfect. I love that concept. I think the gift that's given me too is I fully expect that I'm still going to be like that when I'm in my 90s. Like that to me, that's the story that I have of ageing, which is such a blessing because I think, I mean, we know the power of our belief system. So if we believe that we're going to start ageing and everything is inevitable in our 50s, then that's what we'll be filtering for, that's what we're creating, et cetera. Right, and you've had the best role model to show you that that doesn't have to be that way. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, it's funny. So many gifts in that. So many gifts in that. Um, I want to get to the part in the book, actually coming back to what you said about when people don't feel empowered and they also are feeling like not not as physically confident. Yeah. Let's talk about strength training from that perspective. So we know strength training is good at this at all, always to make sure that we are, um, you know, we're building muscle, we're making sure our body composition, I'm using the very good words, you can tell I'm very sleepy. Yeah, but they were, uh, no, but that's exactly what it is, right? Yeah. yeah. We know the physical benefits, but what I really want to bring this back to is, for me, the gift of strength training. Like I was very blessed um, around about 18, I've always been into sort of cardio sort of stuff. You know, I did that. I was laughing about your, um, you know, you out the front with the G-string leotard on. I'm like, that's when I started going to the gym. I used to have this fluorescent green. I know. Fluorescent <sighs> green G-string leotard and leopard print tights. Like, oh, hideous. Oh. Anyway, thank you, everyone, for enjoying that visual picture. <laughs> but um, lucky for me, one day when I walked into this very first gym that I ever joined, I um, had a personal trainer come up to me and say, have you ever used weights before? And I'm like, oh, no. And back in those days, I had the same stereotype that a lot of people do. Oh, no, that's for the boys. Yeah. Like, I don't want to get bulky. Anyway, this guy's like, oh, I've got a free hour. Do you want me to show you? I'll write a program for you. And that was the beginning of a love affair. And the reason I love weight training so much is the way that it makes me feel grounded and strong and capable. capable. So yes, it's the physical, but I think when we when we go back to that loss of confidence and feeling, you know, like maybe we're a bit less sort of sure of ourselves, weight training is almost like the antidote to that, isn't it? Well, it is. And I think that you've just described it perfectly. And, and I think that what I would say to any woman is if they are considering starting and they're nervous about starting to just give it a time, give it a a month, like give it a month and see how it feels because I can guarantee you're going to feel completely different at the end of that month. And the reason is, is because when you start seeing what you actually can do rather than what you think you can do, and there are plenty of studies out there to show that when a woman goes into a gym and she's told to pick up a weight, she will automatically pick up a lighter weight. It's just the way they go because they're like, I can't do, I can't do more than like two or three kilos. And yet you see them coming out of the supermarket with 20 bags of shopping or throwing the kids over the shoulder. Like they can, right? But it's just the idea that we think that we can't. And so what strength training actually does is it's transformational. It shows you you can, it shows you you're capable, but that transfers over into so many other parts of our lives, like not just the physical. 
Um, and I've seen women's confidence completely change um, by strength training. And I have a really good story about that. I had a, one client who wanted to be a cyclist. She cycled to work and she decided she wanted to do distance cycling, but she knew she needed to do strength training really to just make sure she had um, she was strong enough and she didn't um, get injured all the time. And we were doing a TRX row. And that's one of those ones where you hold the TRX in your hands and you lower yourself backwards. So you it's almost like a reverse plank. Yes. And she was stood there and she went, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And she started crying. Right. So I'm a personal trainer at the time, one-on-one. And I go up to her face and I'm like, "You, I wouldn't ask you to do it if you couldn't. Right. We've worked together for months and you trust me. Do you trust me? And she's like, yes, I do. But I don't trust myself. So I said, right, I'm going to stand behind you and put my hands on your shoulder blades. And then you're going to go back and I'm going to be touching you, but not helping you. And if you fall, you land on me. I'm the one that's going to get hurt at you. So she did it. She did five reps. And at the end of it, she stood up and she went, I just didn't think I could do that. I don't know why, but there was something saying that I wasn't strong enough to hold my own body weight. I didn't think I could do it. And that was like a light bulb moment for her. And from then on, she just fired off, like in all directions. She just, I remember her coming back to me saying that was such a pivotal time for me. She's now racing a hundred kilometer races and she's, she works out regularly and she's like, she, she's formidable and she's in her sixties now. And I just like, we all have had that moment where we're like, oh my God, I can do it. And and we've all had adversity, like coming back from injury. I had long COVID, like people are coming back for illnesses. I'm going through perimenopause when you can't commit to doing a workout because some days you just don't feel like it makes it feel like it's not worth the bother. And I'm telling you, it is. Keep going because these small wins, they compound and they make a difference. Yeah, I I feel like that phrase that you just said, I don't trust myself. There's an invitation in perimenopause to look at all of those stories that we have about what we can and can't do and what we will and won't trust ourselves to do. Just get curious. Like we're not talking about, you know, I, I feel like I will always come back to mindset because that that's kind of, you know, yeah. my, my jam, but also because I, I love storytelling and helping people to understand the stories that they tell themselves and how limiting or unlimiting is that a word whatever um yeah yeah yeah, but it makes sense myself what you gifted her then was breaking a big bubble of belief belief system just and I bet I bet that belief system started outside of the gym and maybe the workplace or within the family or and it just manifested in that right moment and then the knock-on effect of that was amazing and so yeah it's 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 brilliant yeah Um, (laughs) the other thing that I love about um gym stuff is in in terms of perimenopause specific I find that when like I said before if I'm not sleeping then I mental health wise can feel really scattered and not sort of grounded and so even though I woke up at 4.30 this morning I was like I know I'm interviewing Amanda at 6.30 I've still got two whole hours and so I chose to go and do I'm doing a loading phase in the strength training um, program and I can only train the top half of my body due to injury at the moment which is very frustrating I'm just like all right focus on what you can't do focus on what you can do so I went to the gym and I was like there's a story in my head that I'm tired and so therefore I won't be able to lift as much as well. So I'm going to challenge that story and just see how I go. So I slightly increased all of my weights. 
ended up increasing again in some of the second sets. And I was like, okay, so number one, you've broken a story. Number two, you've grounded your energy. Number three, you've listened to really good music. So you've got some, you know, happy hormones going on um, and endorphins. And I'm still back here showered and ready to talk to you. So I've actually done something that's been deep self-care for myself in a way that um, helps to ground my energy. So it's like, you know, all of these benefits. And you know, there's the the psychological sort of side of that is that you know that you it, it's the it's the notice and name the stop and naming isn't it because instead of just going down the path you stopped and you had the conversation and it happens in so many parts of our lives and it's a super simple thing to do is stop and go really I'm saying I can't and what you're saying is you're stopping you're pausing and saying yeah I can I can do something and usually when you do something that evolves into something more usually also honoring I have to say that um I have got better and better and you talk about this also of really listening to how my body's feeling and some days that what I just did would be the very first thing worst thing that I could do energy wise like if I'm really really depleted one of the reasons I decided to do that this morning was I was feeling really flat. I wanted to be in the ability to actually have a conversation, but also I've got a day where I really can't move too much off my list of things to do. I'm delivering for clients. I've got a couple of books to finish and final editing. So I'm like, okay. So there's things that, you know, I like to practice what I call peri-essentialism. So I've just read essentialism for the first time, a bit slow on the uptake, but in in the concept really is what is absolutely essential. And a lot of the time I'm finding myself on days where I don't have a lot of delivery and I am really tired, I'm just going, well, there's actually nothing essential that I need to do. So what I'm going to do instead is go back to bed. Today is not one of those days. And so the decision to go to the gym and strength train has been that, you know, I'm deciding how to enter my day or the container of my day. Um, I also work with someone that talks about segment intending. I don't even know. Do you know about segment intending? No, nope, never heard of it. I don't even know where it comes from. I think it actually might be Abraham Hicks, which is very woo, but it's basically just deciding how you want to feel, but only looking at the very next thing that you have to do. So before I, you know, before we connected, I was like, all right, I want to have a really good juicy conversation. I want to pull out some of these key um, points. I want to be able to say the name of your book correctly. Yay. (laughs) Um, and I want to walk away feeling um, like we've been able to, you know, share some really cool pieces of information that will go and inspire other people to reframe menopause. Um, then when we get off, then you segment and tend, you know, I'd segment and tend for the next part of my day and the next part. So it's just taking one little slice um, because I, like you were saying before, the naming of the emotions and also being mindful, I can get very catastrophic when I'm tired. Right, right. And that's completely normal. And so just keep it. And so just then bringing it more present and into the actual moment. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That makes um, a ton really of sense. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to me, I keep on coming back to the word soothe, like when, because tiredness and you intimated the same thing before, like tiredness, perimenopause and stress have so many overlapping symptoms and they all feed each other. And so if I decided to go into the catastrophic cycle, all I'm doing is ramping up my stress, ramping up my cortisol, getting, you know, worst case scenario thinking, which is not helping anything. So it's like reversing out of that and going, okay, what can I control? Little tiny bit. Um, Last thing that I wanted to bring out. So in terms of the, because I'm just thinking 
if you're listening to this and you've never strength trained and you feel a little bit like, oh, I keep hearing that this is a good idea and it'll make me feel better, et cetera, where do I start? You've actually got exercises laid out in your book. Can you talk a little bit about that so that people can, and I will put obviously in the show notes, um, connections to your book, but also um, you have programs, et cetera. So can you talk about all of that? Yeah. So one of one of the things is I wanted um, strength training to be accessible to everyone. And I know everyone has a starting point. And I think that, you know, a lot of women don't think that it is right for them, but it's because they don't know where to start. And they also don't want to walk into a gym that can be very intimidating. So I created, I call them men, menopause metabolic resistance um, workouts, MMRs, but essentially they are strength training programs, which I would normally program differently um, for my clients, maybe in supersets or, you know, in a different structure. But I did these in a circuit-based fashion, but I did it on purpose because even though these are numbers of reps I want people to do and a, and a specific amount of rest, et cetera, I did them in circuits because I wanted you to be, as a woman, to be able to go, I'm only going to do one round of this today because it's all I've got. And so you are able to do a complete workout doing one round and it's still a win, where on another day you may decide that you've got the energy or the scope to be able to do four or five rounds. And so that would be the two ends of the, the scale. And so I just wanted um, the, the idea that you get to choose what you want to do because you're in control of like your own sort of like destiny, essentially. And that there's nothing wrong with just doing one one round of the workout because it's still doing something. I actually wrote a post about this on Instagram the other day and I called it um, structured flexibility. And it was literally doing a check-in similar to what you do with the um, when you said you segment things. It's yeah. like a check-in going, you know, am I? what am I feeling today? Is it a one out of 10? Is it a three out of 10? Is it a 10 out of 10? And like on those one out of 10 days, maybe there's no workout there. Really, these are the days that you just maybe want to get outside, get some nature, just go for a walk. And all the way to the 10 where you carpe the fucking DM out of the yeah. day, you know, like you just go like, I'm going to do a big old, yeah, check on the world. And so I just think that like, I just did it in an accessible way so that, I, and, and I know it's been successful because people do them and really like them and, um, and I've done them mul multiple times and it's just a fun way to work out. But I just also want people to know that it's perfectly okay to do strength training with your body weight and it's perfectly okay to do strength training all the way up to doing barbells. It can look different for everyone and that there's a place for everyone. But it's almost like one of those deal breaker exercises. Like if you don't understand why you you don't need to do it, we need to have a serious talk because your health depends on it. Literally, literally, quite literally. Huh. Um, I think for me, one of the things that I love too is I know, you know, obviously in a gym you can put your weights up, et cetera, because you've got lots more, but really the way that you've done them, they're accessible for people to even just start in their home with basic equipment. Um, and you're very clear on how each thing works and how to add, yeah. you know, start here, but how to add the next step. How to pimp, pimp it up, I pimp think it, they call it. it. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I love it. Um, so if someone wants to work with you online, though, you've got mo multiple different programs that you offer. So can you tell us a bit about those? Well, so I actually don't coach with clients anymore. Um, so I have my book and I've got a YouTube channel and all social media, et cetera. I, but what I am doing is I'm working with um, a, a femtech startup company. Oh. There's, four, yeah, there's four of us founders and um, it's going to be um, what we hope to be 
the one-stop shop for everything menopause. Now, yep. it's going to be based out of Canada and one part of the the offering will only be for Canadians because that's access to medical. Good but job. there's going to be everything you ever needed to know about menopause and more to be able to do the bit we talked about in the beginning where you can do a report for your doctor where you can print off the prescribing yes. details where you can go. So that's something that, and we're going to build up an, a team of like doctors to be able to help with that. And then within that whole program, we're going to have a membership site, which is going to be um, nutrition, mindset, exercise, um, learning. There's going to be like a school of menopause in there, live, live guests and et cetera. And these are our digital therapeutics because I don't believe that menopause should be spoken about from a purely medical standpoint. Yeah. Um, we need to talk about everything. And so these have got a team of 10 um menopausal fitness experts that are going to be delivering almost like a peloton for menopause and that comes out hopefully in the fall so i'm excited about that so that people will get to work with us and work with coaches one-on-one if necessary yeah it's something i've been wanting to do for a long time and i've teamed it with a medical um, professionals to do this so i'm excited about it yeah that's really cool yay for breaking down the barriers um yes coming, coming back to advocating you know having those types of tools available for people um so that they're yeah exposed to understanding what can happen and yeah. how to support themselves from a lifestyle perspective but also as as you were saying before you know there's nothing um we're not demonizing at all people that seek specific treatment like i you know have have decided that i'm going to try hormone therapy We'll see what how that goes. Um, but you know, and then that's the thing. You've got to talk to the one woman in front of you. And the idea is is that we give them all of the resources and actually the system that we're building will point them to the right direction. Some women will actually say, I only want to do like um exercise and nutrition, or some people want to go straight to the doctor. We're gonna give everything to everyone and they get to decide. And that's what ultimately we all want. Yeah, uh, it's so good. And I also love the fact that um you know, my experience definitely is as soon as I feel like I've got a handle on one set of symptoms, then something changes. Another one comes along, yeah. Yeah, waxing and waning um, and being very gentle on ourselves in those transition times where we're just learning how to cope with the next step or, yeah, get support around the next step and, you know, what what works lifestyle-wise. I don't think... Sorry, uh, sorry, I was going to say, and I think you made a really great point there, and it's that, like, you know... Perimenopause is the most troublesome part for women. And most women statistically, it resolves itself in menopause, right? In that three to five year window that statistically, most women come off hormone therapy if they can stay on if they want to with advice from their doctor. Um, But I can also attest personally that like it's, you come back and it feels great. But the things that we're offering within this platform you can do for the rest of your life right it's nutritional basics it's mindfulness that we know is helpful exercising that we should all be doing for the rest of our time movement etc and so that's why it was really important to have these digital therapeutics in there because the the doctor side of it may be something that you need for a few years but might need it not need it for many years to come right so good I love this I also love the fact that any time that I'm interviewing someone who is nearing menopause or like has a sense that they're nearing menopause or is post-menopause, almost always they say, everything that was troubling me has resolved or mostly resolved. Um, and also a deep sense of this magic and kind of, oh, now I know who I am. Like this, you know, this settling and it's the reverse to me of 
of the unsettling <laughs> that happens at the front end of it. Um, you've so, just yeah. you've just nailed it. We go through the unsettling to come out the other side yeah. to be settled for sure. For sure. I haven't, read it, yeah. I haven't posted it yet. I will put it up when we're done. Um, about I was feeling into this, you know, the portal that we go through when we go through puberty from child to adult and the fact that it's unsettling and we need to let go of some parts of ourselves because we're figuring out who we're going to be in this grown-up stage. And then if we have the blessing of having children or choose to have children, similar sort of thing. We go through this portal. Obviously, labour itself is a portal to birth something, but, you know, pre that we've already gone through physical changes, brain changes, et cetera. And by definition, you know, we are letting go of some some things to kind of come out the other side in the new version of ourselves. And this perimenopause journey is no different. It's still a portal. There's still things that, you know, I don't know, I, I keep on thinking about it as the powerful, sometimes painful portal. <laughs> but to the yeah. wise, you know, like that what's on the other side is a wise woman version of ourselves that's, you know, freer and more unapologetic, much more... Uh, connected to her power and her wisdom on the other side, yeah. that, I guess. Completely, completely. And I think that we need to talk about that more. And I think it gets lost in the conversation. You know, it's, I sometimes think I should write another book called What's Next? What yes. Now? Yes, you know, we'll do that. Because what I think, yeah. Apocalypse? I'm an apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> really? Bless you. <laughs> what happens after the zombies come? Zombies being yeah. And we've killed them all. Yeah. Like the the whole new world or something. That's what it needs to be called. The whole yeah, new yeah. world. <laughs> yeah. The post-menopocalyptic yeah. time, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that, that is, I, I do feel like sometimes when I'm writing posts, I think, oh, I'm talking about the unsettling again. And I'm not talking about, and that's why I wrote the one about the power, because I do definitely have a sense of like, all I need to be is just here now. And it's all part of, you know, this magical process that's happening. And at the other end, yeah, there's magic and you can't rush it. <laughs> You're not yeah, in control. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. I know this is your last thing to do on your to-do list. So checking yes. in for the day. Um, I am. I love this conversation. I love the fact that. Um, you are just about to start breaking down barriers in app form, which is amazing. So yes, stay tuned, everyone. So when when are we? When's the due approximate? So so we will be doing that in the fall, in the autumn. Like I mean, I flip flop between my English and my Canadian, yes. but yeah, hopefully, <laughs> yeah, we're building, we're working on that right now. That's what I've been working on all day. But yes, yeah, so that's exciting. Um, we just want valid information out there for women and solutions. There's no point just giving information without actually providing solutions. And so that's where the drive comes from. So it's exciting. But I appreciate you having me on today. Thank you very much, Thank Kylie. You so much. See you later. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening into today's episode. If you love the show, as I hope you do, please take the time to subscribe on your favorite pod listening platform and rate and review. And for bonus points, if you have a friend or someone who popped to mind as you were listening to this episode, why not hit the share link wherever you're listening and send them a little love bomb. 
like, listen to this. Did you know this is normal? (laughs) I really, really, really would love to get these beautiful stories into the hearts and ears and minds of so many more midlife mavens and your help spreading the love is truly, truly appreciated. Thank you so much. I'm Kylie Patchett, your host, and have a spectacular day. Thank you.